Hello to everyone in the world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and we're bringing you another episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. This is the show where I share new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation in the wealth management space. I'm also a strategy consultant, and my company, Ezra Group, helps broker-dealers, asset managers, uh, large RIAs, and especially fintech firms make better technology and business decisions. And before I forget, I want to remind you to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes, which would be a tragedy. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Wealth Management Today. Let's talk about the evolution of wealth management and market research and what are consumers thinking? And are robo-advisors getting traction? And what is the advisor effect? All these questions and more will be answered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. Josh Book is a senior management consulting leader with nearly 20 years of global consulting and strategy delivery experience, working in a variety of client-facing and leadership roles. Josh is helping the Parameter Insight team to develop leading data and research products for the financial services space, as well as helping their clients to innovate and grow their digital business models for the future. This episode really turned things on its head a bit. Normally, I'm talking to vendors who are selling software products or broker-dealers and how they're using software, but this is all about research. This is all about consumer research and and impressions and how they're seeing the market, which I think is an interesting way of looking at things and and something that a lot of firms need to spend some more time on. And uh, speaking with Josh Book from Parameter Insights and really going in-depth in some of the research and some of the trends that they're seeing, I love the stuff about psychographic makeups and, and how that's uh, changing and how consumers change their makeup over time and some of the impressions that uh, consumers are seeing when they're looking at uh, financial services firms and specifically wealth management technology firms. So you're really going to like this episode. And without further ado, here is Josh Book. And here we are with the latest episode of Wealth Management Today podcast. I am excited to welcome Josh Book, founder and CEO of Parameter Insights, a market research and financial services consultancy, to this episode. Hey, Josh. How's it going, Craig? So good to be with you. Awesome, man. Just killing it. This is great. So happy to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here with you as well. We have been all over together Every conference, all over the place. Finally, yeah. glad to have you here. We can talk about digital wealth advice research. We can talk about that. Let's talk about consumers. Let's talk about the evolving wealth management business. And we, and, just, spent, uh, what we, firms just, spent, we just spent the last 15 minutes talking fantasy football. That's a different podcast. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> but we, did, we did get that. Out, I got that out of my system. Yeah, and we're both having we're both we're both needing help this year in fantasy oh, football as well. Getting unfortunately, killed. just getting killed. Um, thank God for the Patriots defense saving me. So you <laughs> oh, are make, um, you mean making it close for you? They're they're making it just just so close. If I just can get a little bit more out of them. Um, uh, you're based in Toronto. We are. We and are. And tell me about how you um, the idea for start for starting 
parameter insights. And, and you were yeah. uh, on my end of the world. You were a consultant. Then you moved into this research world. How did you do that and why? Yeah, I'm, uh, I kind of I call myself sometimes a, a reforming management consultant. I was at um, Accenture in the strategy practice previously and, uh, and PwC before that. Um, I, I guess I got a little bit um, cynical slash disillusioned with um, the big C consulting work that I was um, becoming more involved in in terms of selling large scale um, digital strategy analytics types of programs um, where I was struggling to see the, the clients we were trying to help uh, meaningfully get get traction and sort of access to data that could help them in their day-to-day business choices. Um, And I thought in this day and age, there was just a plethora of data and it should be easier. And I think there should be um, kind of more access to good strategic thinking that's data that's sort of based in, uh, in data. Um, And so we founded uh, a boutique consultancy originally called parameter um, that you know, the mission was to, to do just that, to, to help um, managers and executives um, make better business choices, but with a data-driven uh, bent on it. Um, and our first engagement- That's a great idea, because I think a lot of firms are, don't have the data they need. Well, at least they think they do. Well, yeah, they think they do, or there's, there's a, a, a much more complicated approach to getting after um, kind of good data and they, they'll often start with their own customer bases, which is great. Um, but then you understand and see the complexities, particularly in financial services businesses, uh, of actually gathering data that's good and that is meaningful and that is helpful when you're trying to make, you know, product choices, customer engagement choices, um, you know, choices that are centered around growing a business. Um, and not to say that it can't be done and that a lot of firms are doing great, great work, um, and, and there's certainly a place for that, you know, building data lakes and, um, you know, widespread kind of data analytics programs. Um, but the sort of day-to-day executive and manager can make use of other types of data uh, to make better choices as well. Um, and we got engaged by one of the large banks in Canada's wealth management business back in 2014 in one of our earlier uh, projects to help them kind of assess the market from a perspective of what is this robo advice thing and what does digital wealth look like? Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that work, kind of doing a competitive scan and doing a market assessment, we were kind of surprised to see how little data there was available. There was certainly the, um, the kind of points of view, uh, I would say sort of veiled research that that was saying things like, you know, robo advice is going to eat, you know, every millennial dollar from here mm-hmm. to kingdom come, um, which begs the question, you know, is your age, for instance, a driving factor in your propensity to want to consume wealth management in a certain way or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and And I was stricken by how our clients were getting ready to make fairly sizable capital um, investment choices uh, based on really hearsay um, and not, you know, a lot of instinct and, and, and so on and, and a lot of hoopla, um, but not real meaningful data. And so while they were starting to get keen on, you know, doing some consumer research, we felt like there was an opportunity to actually study a market that was um, in the beginning stages of, of some significant change. And that's you know, meaning the wealth management business on, on the whole. 
Uh, right. So, so let me just let me throw this out there. Do you think robos are getting any traction? Or I mean, most of the assets are at Vanguard and Schwab. Yeah, and I mean, Vanguard would argue that it's not a robo, or at least the right. The, the I, I would say it's not advisor. a robo as well. I mean, USAA had this had it's a call center. I mean, USAA had this yes. in 2011. Yeah. It was just for their clients, but they weren't they weren't pushing it like Vanguard is. But are, are they really? I mean, the, I, I saw the the total number um, in terms of the robo market is is not even 600 billion. Yeah. So the answer is 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 easy. It's no, they're not gaining traction. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that uh, that we should probably talk about. And I think that um, that doesn't mean that they they or some of them won't get traction. Mm -hmm. But I think they're and our research shows this. So I should just step back, uh, Craig, and say that out of that, we we decided to start studying this marketplace from a consumer perspective, um, and so have built out a, a research program. Um, to, to help executives understand, for instance, why aren't they getting traction to a robo that they've, they've launched? Or um, how might they engage customers more? What's going on and how are things changing? Because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, Craig, there are, uh, or there is very little awareness about wealth management on the whole, when you right. think about the average consumer walking around. Right. And while the technology is fantastic insofar as it has you know, somewhat commoditized uh, the ability for the average person to get pretty good, pretty sophisticated wealth management service in, in the form of, you know, a diversified portfolio that's aligned mm -hmm. to their risk tolerance, that's rebalanced for them. There's, you know, some pretty nice, elegant um, interface. Uh, reporting is pretty transparent and costs are low. And it doesn't matter if you don't have, you know, 250 or 500,000 or more to invest. Uh, the trouble right. is nobody has a clue. <laughs> right. So if, if, they're not getting any traction. There's not a lot of assets going to what would be considered traditional robos. In my, my opinion is that they're all going to fail in effect and that they're just going to plateau in, in the assets they have. And that firms like the, the, the new type of focus of these firms, the, the micro savings firms like uh, Acorns and Stash and sure. firms that even didn't start out with wealth like... Um, money line are going to be the winners here. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I think it's a, a decent assertion. I think that the, to say that the robo space is a failure though, I don't think it, it's sort of not a black and white. I think the evol evolution of a category, um, particularly in a nascent, from a nascent stage like this, um, you know, goes through these ebbs and flows and changes and pivots and movements. And I think that, you know, along the way, uh, firms have, have learned some not, uh, and that learning is ongoing. So, you know, you see larger incumbent firms putting out air quote digital advice services or, or a robo, if you want to use that term, which is not a good term, but, um, and really what you see are, you know, just digital distribution of product. Um, so that's a bit confusing uh, to, to the average consumer. Um, you know, and then those are counter to a firm like Betterment who would suggest that, you know, they, they actually offer, you know, advice and, and, you know, have a, an open uh, architecture from a product perspective. So the consumer should feel there's more transparency about what's in their portfolios. Um, and maybe they're, they're a little bit more elegant in how they choose to try to engage with customers, but you're quite right. Then you see firms that took uh, even another tact, which was to not focus on the investing at all um, and, and talk about micro savings and really uh, attack a behavioral um, angle 
on consumers, and that seems to be working in spades. Uh, and I and I give them, uh, particularly Acorns um, and Stash, a great deal of credit in the U.S. for for what they're doing. I, I think you right. know, in our in our research, we we do we built algorithms into social media, which mm-hmm. is less scientific, but it, it is a nice proxy for measuring a very variety of things. Um, and we see, you know, in the U.S. over the last six months, particularly, uh, Acorns is absolutely dominant, for instance, on Twitter, in terms of driving impressions amongst consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not even drive... any, any inco- not one incumbent hits the top, top 10. I think JP Morgan jumped in for, into the top eight for one month when they launched uh, Uinvest. Right. Uh, but and that's my off. point, that they're all, if, if you look at Betterment and Wealthfront, they're the best known. Mm-hmm. Right? So they've got 400, 500,000 users each. Yeah. Whereas Acorns has got a million, five million. When yeah, adding to get 100... a billion dollar valuation and actually make something themselves versus just being a nice, a, a nice little online RIA. There's, there's no doubt. And there will be, I would expect, a great deal of uh, consolidation uh, over time. And I think part of the problem uh, around traction, which is such a complicated thing to try to unpack, we do, I think, a pretty good job of, um, of using some data to see what actually matters to consumers to help firms um, think about it perhaps a little bit differently than they are. Because one of the big problems, Craig, I think, and you, I hope agree, um, financial services companies are pretty crappy at coming to market and engaging customers. Um, I'm just gonna disagree just for the, just from principle. Fair enough, uh, disagree. Uh, but uh, if you ask the average person to look at, you know, a uh, investment product from, from JP Morgan versus a, a credit, offer from JP Morgan versus their you invest uh, digital advice service, the average consumer would be very hard pressed to tell you the difference between any of those three. And yes. that's largely because of the language that they use, the way that they um, come to market with certain, with these types of uh, products and services, uh, jargon filled, you know, impossible to understand what it means for you. Um, right. So there's lots of work to be done there because consumers just don't engage with with financial services and particularly wealth management um, in those ways. So, yeah. you know, tons of work to be done. Uh, consolidation, I was gonna say is, is, I think has to happen. There's so many offers in the United States, you know, well over, well over 40. Um, and that creates this sort of confusion or category confusion amongst right. uh, firms. Like what brand is doing that? Betterment's doing something. There's Wealthfront. There's something called Acorns. There's something mm-hmm. you, know, you invest from JP that's, Morgan. That's the point I was making. That and let me, So let me throw this other theory at you, that all robos will fail that aren't Acorns, Stash, and Money Lion because they're selling investing. And most, advi- most consumers, I and mean, you would know this better than I, but just my gut feel is consumers don't want to buy investing. They hate investing. They don't want to talk about it. We're in the industry. We talk about it every day. Most consumers are, are afraid of it or they, they're afraid of it or they don't care about it or they're not interested. Well, it's, it's probably more that they don't understand it and they're unaware of it. And if they have a passive awareness to something, that also creates anxiety because you sort of know a little bit. You know that, you, 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 of course, intuitively we know we should be saving, but that is so far away from our um, our consideration in yeah, terms of engagement. That's, that's it's, it's anxiety. And that's, and that's what, when you're selling investing, you're selling in, you're selling anxiety and no one wants to buy that or, or very few percentage of the population wants that. So then the question becomes how do firms 
engage with consumers in ways that are uh, not anxiety driven and um, are easy and are frictionless and reduce that anxiety and allow, you know, kind of a delightful experience that is, right. is driving better behaviors by the average person, right. net, net, right? And, and that, and that, that has that, not happened yet. Acorns is doing a great job at starting, right. at starting. Well, so is Moneyline, because Moneyline- So is Moneyline, from a, sure. They're, they're from a lending point of view, like, hey, we'll lend you some money. You don't need to fill out a form. Just, just prove who you are, we'll lend you 500 bucks. Sure. And, and then from there, SoFi, oh, SoFi doing similar things on, on, you know, student loans and so on and so forth. Yeah. And they go, you know, student, you know, SoFi with student loans. So they're, they're coming at it from different angles where Moneyline came at it from, from a, a lending view and now they're doing, they're doing wealth. Whereas Acorns came at it from a, a budgeting saving point of view. And now they're doing wealth. And, and SoFi came at it from a, a student loan point of view. And now they're doing wealth. So it's no one's, I think the firms that are not attacking wealth directly, but indirectly are going to be the ones who succeed. Well, and then, and then there's the incumbents with the brand power. Um, I think they, there's work to be done there. Uh, they all score, you know, the highest in terms of kind of relative preference for a quotes digital wealth advice brand in the United States, in Canada as well. Um, and and you'll, you'd see firms like uh, Stash or, um, well, Acorns actually does quite well amongst the upstarts, uh, but still well below kind of, Grade core, core portfolios or Schwab intelligent is do those firms do um, consumers or themselves as a disservice by simply offering their own product? Um, do they just view a digital service, a digital wealth service as, you know, here's another thing that we have uh, rather than how does that integrate with the full spectrum of how we deliver wealth management to consumers, right? They, they, they say, well, well, here's our digital thing. It's for those, you know, maybe they think even it's for those millennials. If they had our research, they wouldn't think it this way, but because there's a, there's some argument that we need to have a, you know, a digital product for millennial demographic or whatever. Um, and it just doesn't jive. So, you know, and maybe they don't care. They haven't invested that much and it's something there and maybe there's some mm -hmm. foundation that down the line they can, they can evolve mm -hmm. if this was to become a movement, but then it'll be too late. Then it'll be too late because you're, as you say, an acorns will have already, you know, gathered all of those customers. Right. This, this or yeah, between them, the you know, acorn stash and money yeah. line, it's 12 yes. million to use them. And while their average account size is very low, it's under $500. That's going to change. And, and the lot, you know, people look at a robo advice or digital advice channels as a lottery ticket for advisors. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring in a lot of these small accounts and hopefully one, 1% you know, of them will, will become, will hit the minimum. Yeah. yeah. But robo, but acorns with 5 million users, if they get 1%, that's, you know, 50,000, you know, 250,000 our clients. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, and further, they're, they're garnering a deeper or they're trying to garner a deeper relationship um, that, as you can see, is extending certainly beyond just the wealth components, right? Um, and, 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 you know, competing with, with large incumbents across, across uh, service lines. So we'll see That's right issue. now, right now, though, brand brand power or brand notoriety uh, matters. So right. those can, you know, certainly and a right. lot less like a financial services. So if Acorns how to go about doing that. gets what if 1% of the Acorns 5 million clients hit, uh, you'll reach the $250,000 threshold, which I'm just pulling out arbitrarily as a lot of advisors minimums. Yep. 50,000 times 250,000 is 12 billion. Twelve and a half billion. Yep, that's that's pretty decent. 
return. That's that's you know they only have a billion dollars now. So if this well, in what other ways can they monetize on five million customers? Forget that. I mean, you've just talked to about one percent who can accrue two hundred and fifty k, which is not difficult. And especially if you're providing a delight, kind of a delightful, Mm -hmm. frictionless experience, presumably that's kind of behavior driven. Mm -hmm. Presumably you're going to affect that percentage at 1% um, to a greater degree and might be 2% of people achieve that because they just start doing better things financially for themselves. That's an excellent point. But so you mentioned behavior. That's exactly what I want to talk about next. So here's another thing why I think robos will fail. And also it's, it's a, it's a, a limitation on existing tr- traditional advisors in that with your advisor, you, you have a advisors, digital channels in the past have been their portal. That's been the way their clients interact with them digitally. And if your client, if you see a client logging into the portal every day, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Certainly. All right. So you call them, Hey, are you okay? I mean, well, are you worried about your, the market? What's going on? Right. So in fact, advisors, there's no other business in the world where you don't want your clients to interact with you more than a couple times a year. So I, I would push back on that. I, I understand. I know exactly what you mean. I just think that the, that needs to be turned on its head a little bit. And it, it should be that they need to figure out different or better ways to interact with their customers more often. That isn't about, Hey, what are you worried about? So I understand the, the, the ethos of your comment and I agree. Right. In it, but I think that as a sidebar, I think that needs to change. If those, those, that, you know, traditional advisors are going to do well over time. And you're exactly right. And I just spoke to a room full of broker dealers uh, last week and I said exactly that. And they were all kind of nodding their heads, but, and here's the issue. Acorns has figured it out, right? And Moneyline has figured it out. They encourage you to log on every day. Acorns has their yeah. you know, affinity program. There it's basically a cash back program. If you buy stuff through them, yeah. the, the firms that they partner with give you deposit $10, $20 into your savings account. So it encourages you to interact with the app on a regular basis. Money Lion, you pay $30 a month to be part of their service. And then every day you log in and and flip through their little um, like learning flashcards, they give you back a dollar. It's amazing. And see, they've caught on to information about all kind of savings and investment services offered. And they're doing it in an innovative way. They're educating their customers. They're finding cool ways to interact with them. Um, that empower them. But don't you see that that's that's a better way than that? And that type of interaction is building a a tremendous loyalty and a tremendous community that no advisor, no robo could ever match. Uh, That no robo could ever match? Not not the way they're selling their business, not the way they're, not not with their current business model of, hey, we're investing, come look at your portfolio. Uh, Yeah, I see your point. I see your point. Um, Just the diversification of an Acorns platform versus just a a, a standard kind of investing platform. Because uh, some of your research for the thing is really awesome. So you, you have um, in your uh, Digital Wealth Advice Overview 2018, you've got a page, which service features are driving loyalty amongst U.S. users? Uh, the number one was availability of advisor, 13%. I'll give you, I'll give you uh, we've, upgr- we've, we've updated that research uh, for 2019. So why don't so- I have the latest research? I demand the latest research. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Craig. It just came out. It just came out. Like, I think two weeks ago. Uh, I will send it over to you immediately. I advise everyone to sign immediately. up immediately. So is that's it. Well, this is good though that you have that in front of you, and I've already forgotten that. Now I'm looking at 2019, right. uh, so we can do a compare and contrast. So tell me the, the comparison. What's the what's the top driver of overall satisfaction of robos of, of U.S. users? 
in 2019? Oh, so I, I was gonna, so I, I've switched it a little bit. So relative importance of digital wealth advice features in the US is initial investment requirement is number one, brand is number two, and fee is number three. So not surprising, but what is interesting is that advisor support is you know less than half as important. Uh, say having a saving high yield savings account, you know, less than two thirds less important than uh, than initial investment requirement. And that's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. That's that's a that's a real eye opener. That it doesn't matter what portfolios you offer. Doesn't matter what you know investments you put into. They just care about what's my what's my initial fee. What's, what's my initial investment? And it makes sense because I mean, it's not just what they care about. There are other there are other certainly other elements that are important. Um, and then drive. But the biggest one right now, and it doesn't make, it doesn't, it's not surprising is, is that investment, initial investment product because people don't know what they're doing uh, or what about these, these services. And so to go and plunk down, you know, 50,000 in the case of, of a Vanguard um, is, is a major friction point. They, so they, that, they just want to try it. They want to, they want to put, they want to dip their toe in the water. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, um, you know, incumbent executives that will, will, um, sort of say, well, we don't want those customers because they're going to be, you know, not, not valuable and so on and so forth. And I say back, well, maybe, maybe that is the case. I mean, let's find some data and let's actually study whether that assertion is correct. On the counter to that is if we already know, nobody really knows about investing um, and you have a capability to provide an investing service to anybody, why would you want to create friction for them to engage with you? They don't know. So why don't we instead remove friction and then delight them a la an Acorns approach. Uh, Acorns doesn't care if the, the average account size is like a hundred bucks. Or no, the, bucks. the opposite. I, I, I talked to the COO about this. Their average account size is $400. There you go. And they don't which really is, care right now. Which any, any broker dealer, any advisor would, would, would laugh at like you're, you're insane. But yeah, they've got 5 million users. That's and, it. And even the even the most the crazier part is they charge. You know, you talk about transparency of fees. They've really got to figure it out. I, you know, tell, correct me if I'm wrong here, but consumers don't know what a basis point is. No, they do not. You're right. you, they don't know what a they don't know what a diversified portfolio is. They, no. Basically, every bit of language that you largely see. Betterment is much better at this. Wealth Simple actually is out of Canada, but is also available in the U.S. and U.K. Uh, are probably the best um, from a from a, um, a savings and investing perspective, um, but the majority trumpet out all this kind of you know portfolio language and diversification and you know robo just terms that do not endear themselves to a to the average consumer at all. Yeah, it goes over their heads. Way over. If anything, it actually puts them off. <laughs> yeah. And that's my point that they don't understand. So what, what did, what did um, Acorns do? A dollar a month. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what a dollar is. Yep. And but they the, made shrewd partnerships. The, the CNBC partnership, and the, you mm-hmm. know, invest in you or whatever it is called. Massive, massive success and, mm-hmm. and, and huge reach. Um, they use celebrity uh, in, a, in a tremendous way, uh, which was mm-hmm. a, a bit fortuitous for them in the beginning with, I think Ashton Kutcher was a, an early investor. Um, and he has a massive following and he would start tweeting about acorns right. and boom, there's some, some interest in, in, in driving awareness. And it's, right. it's extended. Is, well, people don't realize is that a dollar a month is $12 a year, $12 a year 
divided by $400 is 300 basis points. There you go. No one, only, only the biggest uh, wirehouse um, uh, advisor can charge that. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> only the greediest wirehouse advisor is going to charge 300 basis points. And they're charging it across 500 million, 505 million users. And I asked him, how can you charge that much? He goes, his answer was basically because we can. And because no one else wants these accounts and they, they built their own broker dealer to scale and support really small accounts. Yeah. And you see incumbent firms doing that. In fact, that was a, the driving strategy of a number of big incumbents to, to, to build a robo offer mm -hmm. to offload, you know, low, low value accounts. Right. But these are really low. These are really low, really low, <laughs> super low. <laughs> yes. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out donations or they give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this, this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. So um, well, another question I wanted to ask you now that I have you here. Um, and... So you talked about 40, um, more than 40 robos. How do you define a robo? Is that any, is that a st only standalone firms like a Betterment Wealthfront or are you also including like JP Morgan's digital wealth? In yeah, that? we do. We do. So we define it as, you know, a, a digitally led um, invest wealth management or wealth advice service. It uh, doesn't mean that you, you know, it's pure, pure robo. In other words, and, and most of the firms, provide some access to, to mm -hmm. sort of advisor support in some format, a customer mm -hmm. support, what have you. Um, but it's, it, it sort of needs to be a digitally led uh, offer. Mm -hmm. So another thing you mentioned was um, fees. So our, when we talk about fees, are they seem to be a driver, but if they don't, if the, if, I, if the consumers don't really understand what the fee is, how can they compare? Very good point. Um, they think about it on the top line of that. Uh, but you're right. And then, and again, you, you know, when you're in, you're talking about a, a spot on a customer journey, um, whereas our, you know, our research is, is looking at all customers. So they'll all have different, a different lens through which they're assessing. Um, but you're, you're quite right. Uh, there's a lack of understanding around fees for sure. Um, and so those that do better to make it more transparent what those fees are and how it, what, what the overall cost is and what that impact is for, for a consumer interaction, the better, because we see that transparency 
is another is another component in the in the equation that that consumers care about. Cool. So uh, we're, we're, I want to make sure we um, kept to all the things I wanted to talk about because um, we you know we go into the weeds and we we can't come out. Um, a couple of things. So tell me about in your in your digital wealth advice research, you talk about the psychographic makeup of consumers. Can you explain how you came up with that and how you came up oh, with sure. your, your your segment names and why that's important? So financial services um, has forever loved to segment customers on demographic lines. Um, I mean, everybody loves to do that. Although other categories have done have, have evolved in how they think about it. And I think this, this extends into, into financial services, but only more recently. Um, so, you know, you, you heard wave, you know, go back to 2011, 12, 13, 14, the, you know, the millennial we're robo for the millennials and, uh, you know, traditional is for 500,000 or above and so on. Um, when we, when we think about the evolution of wealth management though, and I really do view it as a spectrum. I think there's a place for all these different kinds and ways, uh, that one can interact with, with a firm for, for their wealth, wealth needs. Um, you know, we, we got to think about uh, how do people cluster and lend themselves to one area or another, a traditional versus a, you know, a digitally led service. Um, and so we, we do psychographic or called attitudinal customer segmentation, where we um, have a series of about 29 kind of statements that we use to um, cluster individuals on. So things like, you know, are, are you comfortable doing financial transactions online? Are you, and, and this is for, this would relate by the way to the, you know, a digital um, wealth advice um, offer. Uh, are you, you know, are you, um, do you like to gather information about savings and investing online? Um, so, uh, you know, a series of statements like that, that help us categorize people to whether we believe them to have, you know, behaviorally, uh, a makeup that lends better to engaging with a, for instance, a digital wealth advice service versus maybe a traditional advisor. Um, right. So how can I use this to feed my AI? If I'm a robo platform, I want to use the psychographic. Yeah. Breakout. So what you do is you, you, you we build, you know, um, target demographic or target segmentation, target segments out of that segmentation. So if you are a digital advisor, business owner, um, you'll look at, and we've identified, you know, about in the U S a little over 50% um, of the population of the investing age population does in fact behaviorally lend that lend themselves well to engagement with the digital advice platform. Um, but what you'll do is you'll then unpack those, those behavioral segments into their demographic components. And so you'll see um, in a target segment, I don't have it in front of me, but if, in a target segment, we, I think we had a two, a four segment solution. The top two were target segments or would deem be deemed to be targets for a digital wealth business. Um, you'll see kind of, if you look at the age breakdowns, it won't, it won't be, you know, highly skewed to millennials, for instance, it will be, you know, maybe 39 or 40% of them of that behavior, you know, top segment, um, top target segment might be millennials, but then you'll see, you know, another 30% or so be Gen Xers. And then even another, you know, 20, 20, 20, 25% be uh, baby boomers. 
So what does that mean? I mean, that's just on, on age. We cut that, you can cut that every which way for assets, you know, education, income, and so on. Um, but you can see that there are, are a big group of people who are behaviorally similar in so far as that it's likely that they would be open to engaging with a wealth this way, uh, but they have, they're different people. So the one size fit all kind of in, uh, approach to engagement won't work. Um, or at least it won't work as well as you'd like it to work. Right. So it allows you to be much more precise about how you want to go and engage with customers. You're going to know of this target. These, these people are the same behaviorally, but they're not going to be the same as people. A, a millennial is going to be very different and going to be in different places than a, uh, a baby boomer will be. Right. Uh, so you can massage and manage your messaging, where you market it, how you market it, what kind of experience you provide to those, um, those people a little bit in, in more finer detail. So how do you, um, do you have any data? What I think would be interesting was to know of the robos, which, which ones make up most of their customers? Like is, are, are certain, certain robos more attractive to passive players or confused worriers or skeptical savers? So the, um, what's the top one? I don't have it in front of me. You do you obviously, uh, you're advantaged. You're advantaged, Craig. Ah, my, I have, I'm research. in control. I've got it in front of me. Um, uh, it's engaged asset accumulators. Engage, yeah, so those guys are gonna be um, way more propensive to advice platform. They'll also play in, in a self-directed um, capacity. Because they seem well. like engaged so, asset accumulators seem like the ones who would go to Vanguard or Betterment. Or they, totally. they want to invest. That they're comfortable they're online. They want to invest. They don't fear investing uh, over save. They, they prefer investing over savings. Um, they're pretty knowledgeable about their financial situation. They're not worried uh, and so on. So those guys are, are sort of slam dunks. In Canada, we call that, that category or that uh, segment the slam dunk digitals as well. They're, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a no-brainer. A no-brainer. I think like a skeptical saver, they prefer saving to investing, comfortable handling finances without advice. That seems like an Acorns customer. It, it is. And Acorns can do well. And the, the interesting thing, Craig, about these segments is that they change over time. So people can move and will move into different, um, different categories uh, mm -hmm. or segments. And so when we do this, in our research, we do this annually, um, you see one, one, um, one segment drawing from others. And I think in, the, in this past year, I think we did see uh, the passive players drawing from the, conf do you have a confused, yeah, confused worriers. Confused worriers, confused by wealth management offers, worried about financial future, not comfortable making financial transactions online. Yeah. So not a target segment, right? By, by a digital wealth advice uh, firm, but right. passive, passive players, I think was the one uh, that drew from that segment and grew yeah. a little bit. So that so means awareness, more, awareness is growing. They're getting a little more comfortable. They're learning a bit more right. and therefore becoming more likely uh, to be someone that, that could engage. Yeah, but I think all three of these bottom ones, the passive players, the confused warriors, and the skeptical savers are all Acorns targets. And Acorns is killing it in online. And, you know, your latest data, well, from, from late, 90, Acorns is 90 of Phobos. Percent yeah. is Yeah, I mean, bearing in, bearing in mind that's, that's on Twitter, and it, not to say that, you know, Twitter, the Twitter population is representative of 
of you know investing age Americans uh, or Canadians for that matter. Um, but it's certainly a great proxy to see. I mean, at the end of the day, these these are offers that are existing in digital, and I don't even care if you're traditional if you're a traditional wealth firm uh, or or a digital led wealth firm. I mean, if you're not playing in the digital channels, that's such an opportunity lost in my view. Um, because it's a great medium to, to drive awareness in what is a pretty low awareness category. Right. Um, certainly, you know, amongst people who, who would purport to be highly aware, that's right. a very low number. It's less than 10% in the U S. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for someone to actually consider, think about, imagine a consumer's consideration set to enter into their, their consideration to buy or engage, they have to be really aware, especially mm-hmm. for a, a wealth management service offer in that category. Uh, and so Acorns is doing a tremendous job and the others are, are, are not. Stash has done some, some good work, but, you know, uh, Elevest has done some, some good work, although their message is, is not uh, resonating very well. Uh, that was Why not? Why do you think Elevest's message is not resonating? Yeah. So in our latest, uh, latest research just out, um, we did a, a study on relative preference for digital wealth advice brands in the U.S., and actually Elevest and its relative preference. So just it's the least preferred of the brands that we uh, track uh, in the entire category. And, and I was a little bit surprised by that because they do have um, some good, um, good marketing in digital. And so I thought, well, maybe it just really doesn't resonate amongst the male demographic, but surely, you know, its whole ethos was around the female demographic. demographic. Uh, surely there's going to be some positive story there. And in fact, Craig, surprisingly, not, 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 uh, not resonating at all amongst both males mm-hmm. or females, which is uh, unfortunate for them. And I think they have some work to do. Interesting. So, but it well, also, it also points to this, the, the power of brand. I mean, they're an right. upstart brand. Um, you know, we have the top of the, the charter, E-Trade, Core Portfolios, Schwab's Intelligent Portfolios, Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. Axis Investing, Fidelity, you know, the big names, uh, TD Ameritrade, Merrill, JP Morgan. Acorns uh, is the number one um, um, kind of upstart, we'll call it upstart mm-hmm. firm. Uh, and it comes in ju- just, just below JP Morgan Chase. Mm-hmm. Like I call it a tie. Uh, mm-hmm. So great work by them, frankly. And then you don't see another one until stash, which is, which is slightly on the negative side of the ledger. In fact. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So uh, running out of time here, I want to get to a couple more questions. No, let's keep talking. Let's go, let's go all day. <laughs> Let me clear my calendar for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What, what can you explain to me, Josh Book, uh, CEO of Parameter Insights? What is the advisor effect? Ah, the advisor effect. So we found that um, now two over two years ago. Um, We want we we want to study you know the the category wealth management and not just digital, not just uh, or digital advice, not just self directed uh, or online brokerage. Um, but also, you know, what about people who are engaged in traditional advice, which makes up the majority of the assets, not people, but the majority of assets uh, in, in the wealth business, obviously, for now. Um, and so what, you know, are there interesting things we can glean about folks that are engaged with a traditional advisor um, that might be relevant, you know, when you look at the whole category, when you look at digital advice, when you look at self-directed. And we found and we continue to see uh, those folks that are engaged by a traditional advisor are much more aware of digital wealth advice alternatives, uh, 
are much more likely to be a user of a digital wealth advice alternative and actually are also more satisfied than their um, non-traditionally uh, advised counterparts um, in the digital wealth advice experience. So what does that tell me? It tells me um, if you're a digital wealth, if you're already engaged in wealth management, so you already by definition have at least a little more awareness of what wealth management is, what's kind of available to you, you have some experience with it, uh, in the, you know, at least in the traditional sense. Um, so you are um, likely more open to looking at alternatives and looking at what's going on, what's out there. Um, and so we see a little bit of shopping behavior, right? Um, that, that sort of falls out from that, that increased awareness. So they're going and trying out, you know, a Betterment or, or what have you, or an Acorns or uh, pick any of them. Um, they're obviously not moving all their assets yet, but in the mm -hmm. experience that they are having, it's pretty good. They're more, more, they're more satisfied uh, and satisfaction numbers are quite high for the whole category, right. um, which is, which is good. And not, I mean, compare it to a traditional advice experience, you know, maybe you meet an advisor once a year. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, I, I look at my own, I can't even check my, my holdings on my phone. Mm -hmm. I, I can see my account balances, but, and I'm with a big wirehouse. I cannot see my holdings. That's insane to me. Yeah. Um, but so, so do you say that, so is what you're saying, part of what you're saying that clients of traditional advisors are more likely to try out a robo because they are aware. They are absolutely. Or they're more likely when they try to it, they yeah. like it. They like it. And so if those firms can do, you know, more and more about uh, building comfort, building, building trust mm -hmm. um, and delighting and having a frictionless experience, uh, I wonder, uh, you know, you saw in 08, you saw a flood of assets rush to, to online brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it, it, what's the next catalyst for, for a, rush, a rush out? Who mm -hmm. knows? I wish I had a, a crystal ball and maybe there's a 30% correction around the door, around the corner. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's going to be to self-directed and to a digital advice platform. But there are also other ways to move the needle than needing a catalyst. And I think that's the takeaway for me is that the firms of all sizes and shapes need to really focus on consumers and understanding what they're, what they're actually trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so advisors could be, well, the more they're the more they're educating their clients, the more likely they are to move to a robo. I, I wouldn't put it that way. I would say that the, just the fact that someone is engaged in a traditional advice uh, relationship already infers that they have some uh, additional awareness. They're engaged mm -hmm. by the wealth management category. The gotcha. majority of people are not, right? It's awareness. Yeah. Excellent. Josh, this has been super enlightening. I, I mean, we can talk about this stuff all day as we have. Well, we do. <laughs> in, other, in other locations with beers usually. Yes, um, yes. We'll do that again. And I really appreciate you spending the time and going through all this, and I encourage everyone to look up the Parameter Insights and their research. It's fantastic. I, I love to, I go through all the time. And so tell me, how, how can people best contact you? Yeah, reach out to me, uh, josh at parameterinsights.com. Check out our website, www.parameterinsights.com. There's a little, uh, you can enter your email, you can check out a sample of our data see what we do. Josh 10 and LinkedIn uh, pretty active in there as well. And Forever Insights has pages too. Come see us. We'd love to talk wealth management and consumers and growth. And who that wouldn't want to talk about that? Business.
What's that? Who wouldn't want to talk about that? I mean, if you want to grow a wealth business, you really should because firms are, are uh, you know, it's more and more competitive and, and there's, you know, there's lots of reasons that you can't win. There are lots of reasons. And you, I would encourage everyone to reach out to Parameter Insights and check out their wealth tech research and advisory service on digital advice. They have their 2019 series is available on their websites, parameterinsights.com and Josh Book 10 on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Josh. It's been awesome. Awesome. Great to be with you, buddy. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.